as we're so grateful for what the Lord has done in this mission ministry that he's raised up, Cedarbrook Outreach. It is a wonderful, wonderful response of God's grace to faith from his people. And it is a perfect introduction. I don't need an introduction for this message. You just watch the introductions for the message from Hebrews 11 if you want to turn there because that is entire message about God's wonderful, wonderful blessing on faith. His blessing on faith. And so I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And if you'd like to use a Bible provided for you, that's page 1008, 1008. And that, um, that video so touches my heart because as you hear of all the things that God is uh, doing right now, real time, uh, here in our Cedarbrook, our community, through this new ministry, Cedarbrook Outreach, you have to understand that a year ago, that was just an idea. A year ago, none of that existed. Not one part of it existed. It was just an idea, an idea that was based on the faithfulness of God, that God keeps his promises. And when we align ourselves with God's heart, we align ourselves with God's purposes, then we'll see that God provides, won't we? He will provide. And I'm so thankful for the people in this video and many others that could not be shown whose hearts responded to the vision. And they stepped out by faith. They responded by faith and already the fruit is beginning to be manifested. And what I want you to know this morning as we're turning to God's word is that's what faith does. Faith responds. Faith responds. And that's what I want us to think about this morning as we continue going through the book of Hebrews, this journey through this great book, is that faith responds. Because faith is assurance that produces action. How many of you know if you do not act, then you really don't have faith? Because faith is not something that can just stay in your head. Faith gets in your heart because it's a work of the Lord. And when that work is in your heart, you cannot sit still. <laughs> you will begin to respond from your very spirit to what God has put in your heart. See, faith is assurance that produces Action. We learned that from verse 1. If you look back at verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And it is the conviction. And that is an idea which leads to response. It is the conviction of things that have not yet been seen. That's what we've just seen a, a little about on this video. It's the assurance of things Hope for that God has promised that his word will be blessed. His love in Christ will produce fruit. But it requires people who respond with conviction. It's in their heart and it causes them to act. Faith responds. And so today what I want us to do in our time in God's word, I want us to see some timeless examples 
They're timeless. They've been written here in God's word for centuries. They're timeless examples, but they are always timely for our lives. Because you see, this word is the living word of God, isn't it? Word of God is never out of date. The word of God is active. And so these principles, these illustrations, these examples that he gives us are alive for our own hearts and lives. And so what I want to see this morning is that to live by faith is to live a life that responds to God. Responds to God. Now let me say something. Some people think faith is this. You come up with your idea and then you ask God to bless it. <laughs> Boy, I've done a lot about that. How about you? Lord, I've got my plan. Now, could you just blow a little Holy Spirit on this? That's not the way God operates. You see, we respond to God. We respond to God. We see his word. We respond to his word. We look around us. His Holy Spirit helps us to see where he is working. And then we respond to what he's already doing. Isn't it a wonderful thing that as a life of faith, you don't have to imagine it and then ask God to make it happen. No, it's just the opposite. It's God's told us who he is and what he will do as we act in obedience to him. As we respond to him, he says that he will meet us. And it's wonderful. We don't have to be initiators. We can be responders to God. What a great life that is. Now, I want you to see this morning that there are these examples God's given us in his word. As we're walking through Hebrews, finding out that Jesus is better. No turning back, right? No turning back. Here are some examples of people whose faith caused them to respond to God. Now, first of all, I want you to look at verse 7. We'll see this morning is that faith causes us to respond to God in our work. To respond to God in our work. Verse 7 says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning the events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. What do we learn about faith from Noah? We learn that faith follows directions. Faith follows directions. And here we have the ultimate example, the story of Noah building the ark, which is the example of someone who responded by faith and followed directions. Now, quite frankly, we need in some ways to reclaim this story of Noah and the ark. Did you know that? We need to reclaim it. It's not just a cartoon, and it's not just about singing vegetables, okay, that have no arms. <laughs> That's not what the story of Noah and the building of the ark is all about. The story of Noah and his construction of the ark is a story of the grace of God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. doesn't say Noah earned grace in the eyes of the Lord, right? 
Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and he responded in faith to what the Lord had called him to do. He responded in work. He went to work. Now, Noah responded to this work God called him to do in spite of the scope of the job. Have you ever considered the scope of the work project which God gave to Noah? You know this ark that he constructed, and we learn from the Bible, how long did it take him and his sons to finish this? 120 years. 120 years. And did you know that the ark was the largest sailing vessel ever constructed until the 20th century. Until the 20th century, there was never a vessel constructed as large as the ark. And as a matter of fact, to this very day, it's the largest wooden vessel that's ever been constructed. 1.3 million cubic feet. Next time you complain about your boss giving you a big assignment, <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe just think about Noah. What a project he was given. But he responded in faith in spite of the scope of the task. And also, this is important, I think. Noah responded in faith in spite of the scorn it would bring. Now, can you imagine what people were saying as Noah and his sons were building this ark? Well, you know they were all just a cheering section for him, encouraging him day by day. Everyone was so delighted, and they were on his team all the way. No, the Bible says that the world at that time was a desperately wicked place. And Noah had scorn heaped upon him. The very idea that you would be building a boat out here in the middle of nowhere and you're talking about water coming down out of the sky. Right. Bible says, till that day, mist had watered the earth. The earth had never known anything like this kind of catastrophe catastrophic flood. So you can imagine the scorn that was heaped on Noah, but what did Noah do? He kept on doing what God had called him to do, and he was witnessing with every strike of that hammer, right? He was witnessing with his hammer. He was witnessing with his words. The Bible says and tells us and Peter tells us in his epistle that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And boy, talk about a pulpit, right? Man, I'd like to stow it on that thing. <laughs> and as he's up there, he's preaching. And the people are gathering around to look at Noah's folly. And they are laughing in scorn at such a ridiculous 
thing that he's doing. He's talking about the end of the world. He's saying there's going to come sweeping water that's going to wash over the face of the earth and tell us we're all going to perish, that this world is headed to judgment. And they're laughing and laughing and laughing. And they were laughing until the day when God shut the door. The Bible doesn't say Noah shut the door. It says there came a day when God shut the door. Noah and his family, the representatives of the animals in and outside. People who weren't entering into the ark of salvation because the way was shut. God had closed the door. Now friends, listen. This world's headed for judgment. Did you know that? This world is headed for judgment. And may God give us the grace not to be silent. Not to be vindictive. Not to be harsh. Not to act like we know something they don't know. In a condescending attitude. But if God's love is in our heart. And we believe this world is headed for judgment. And everybody has an appointment with a living God. May we not be silent, right? May we not be silent in our work. And in our words. And our work and our words need to go together. Someone has said, do you know, Christian, you're a sermon in shoes. Someone as well said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one every day. (laughs) Any day, I'd rather see a sermon. We're all living epistles. And may our lives be those that testify by our work and by our words. Faith responds. That's what we learned from Noah. Faith responds in our work. But now notice this. Also, faith responds in another example we're going to look at here. Faith responds not only to God in our work, but faith responds in our walk. Faith responds in our walk. Faith is walked out. Faith is walked out. Faith is Lived. When we talk about our walk, when the Bible talks about the walk of faith, it's talking about our life. Faith is walked out. Faith is lived. And the, perhaps the greatest example of walking out your faith is this next example of the man of faith, Abraham. Abraham, who's the great example to us of walking by faith. Now notice what we see in Abraham's story. And it begins here at verse 8 and goes all the way down through verse number 10 as it specifically addresses him. Notice what was characteristic of this walk of faith that Abraham had. Verse 8 says this, that his walk was a walk that left the former life. You see, a walk of faith leaves something. What did we say? I have decided to follow Jesus. What? No turning back. No turning back. You see, the call to follow the Lord is the call to leave a life without him and to walk with him and walk toward him. And Abraham determined that he would leave the former life because God had called him. Verse 8 describes it this way. By faith, Abraham obeyed 
when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now we know practically nothing about the first 75 years of Abraham's life. We simply know that he lived in the land between the rivers, between the Euphrates, the Tigris River, someplace probably in modern Iran. He lived there and he was a pagan idol worshiper. He did not know God. He was a pagan idol worshiper, but God in his grace made himself known to him. And the Bible says that God called him to follow him and that God would take him to a land that he would see and he would give that land to him as an inheritance and to his descendants down through the ages. And so when he was called, the Bible says in verse number 8 that he was called to go out And he went out not knowing where he was going. He left the life before God and said, Yes, Lord, I will follow you. I will follow you. Faith is a walk that leaves the former life behind. Leaves the former life behind. Now, second thing, notice about Abraham's walk. His walk not only is a walk that leaves the former life. Notice in verse number 9, it's a walk that lives then as a foreigner. You see, when you leave your former life in faith to follow Jesus Christ, you become, from that moment on in this world, you become a foreigner in a sense. Verse 9, by faith he went To live in the land of promise. This was the land God had promised to him. As in a foreign land. Living in tents. He never never settled down. He never had a home that was built into the ground of that land that was given to him. But he was living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Who were also heirs with him of the same Promise. Now think about that. Here's Abraham walking through the land that is his. The land has been given to him. This is his land. And he's walking through this land that has been given to him, yet he is a perpetual outsider. He's a perpetual outsider. He lives there. It's the land that God, the creator of the land, gave to him. But even though it's his in his God, he lives as an outsider. And you know, that was fine with Abraham. (laughs) Abraham was fine living in tents. He was fine being considered an outsider in the world in which he lived. He was fine with that. Why? Because he lived with a walk that was looking forward. See, he left what was behind. And he's living 
almost as an outsider in the life that he now has. But where is his focus? His focus isn't on the land that God has given to him and his descendants. That's not where his heart is. Where's his heart? Verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer, and the word designer there is architect, whose designer and builder is God. Now, archaeology in the Middle East has revealed so many amazing secrets about the people who lived thousands and thousands of years ago. I want you to know that that ancient civilization was an advanced civilization. We, we get to thinking and we're told so many times as if people back then didn't really know that much and we are so enlightened and we are so brilliant. Yeah. I watched a program once that said this, even to this very day, nobody could build the pyramids because nobody yet knows how they did it. Those things were built five, 6,000 years ago and stones bigger than this auditorium. Thousands of years later, you can't put a piece of paper between the stones. You see, people back then knew some things. It was an advanced civilization. And so I want you to get the idea. Don't, you have to put out, what you've, out of your mind what you've seen in movies about Abraham. That he was just wandering around in the desert. He was wandering around and there was some cactus here and there. And there was a few little scruffs of grass for him to feed his animals, and it was just windblown and dusty. That's what we think the world was like in which Abraham lived, but it wasn't. It was a lush land. It was a highly civilized world in terms of abilities and wisdom and insight. There were significant cities all over that area. I remember many years ago when I was once in Israel, we were up at the north part and we were following a little part of the journey. We got out and we could walk down what they had excavated was of the king's highway. They called it the highway of the kings, the way the caravans would come across from the Ur of the Chaldees, the land between the rivers, modern-day Iran, Iraq, and would come over and down into the land we know as Israel. And here was this ancient highway. And I remember we were able to walk through this stone archway, massive stone archway, over this ancient road. And that stone archway was standing there when Abraham came to this land. He walked under that archway. I want to tell you, I turned into one big goosebump. And so here Abraham entered into this land. Beautiful cities. But he didn't want anything that that civilization could offer him. Why? Because his eyes were on a better city. 
a real city, not a make-believe city, the city of God. Verse 10, his eyes and were on the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Friends, I want to tell you, that is not a fairy tale city. That city exists. It is the city of our God. And praise the Lord, if you're a Christian, it's your hometown. It's your hometown. What does this world have to compare to our hometown? The home of our God. Faith responds. Faith keeps working. Faith keeps walking. But now notice this also. Faith keeps waiting. Faith keeps waiting. And faith responds in working. Faith responds in walking. And also faith responds in our waiting. Waiting. How many of you know God's timetable is not our timetable? Sometimes we're called in faith. And it's one of the greatest challenges of faith you'll ever have. When God calls you in faith to wait. To wait. And here in verses 11 through 16, we have the story of faithful waiting people. They were full of faith. And they were working for God. They were walking with God. But also, a lot of their life, they were waiting for God. It's a story of a faithful, waiting people. And notice, the first example of faith as a waiting life is the example of a waiting wife. Sarah, she's waiting. The Bible says that she was Waiting in faith, verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Even when she was past age, she considered him faithful who had promised. You know, sometimes we just think of Abraham as having faith and Sarah not having faith. But Sarah had faith. The Bible says she received power. And by faith, even when she was past age, 90 years of age, she was able to wait because she considered him faithful who had promised. Friends, I want to tell you something. We... We honor Abraham, but let me tell you, Abraham had a wife. Someone has said, behind every successful man, there is a good woman. <laughs> it's also been said, behind every successful man, there is a surprised mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> but now listen, listen carefully what I'm about to say. God did not create the woman to be behind the man. Read your Bible. God created the woman to be beside the man, to be beside him in the walk, beside him in the work, beside him a partner in serving God, a partner in the faith. That's what God calls a husband and wife to be. A partner like Sarah, 
who received power by faith. She received power. Even past days, she believed that God was faithful. She believed. And after all that waiting, and you know how long they waited? Promise was first made of a child when Abraham was 75 and Sarah was 65. 75, 80, 90, Sarah, 65, 75, 85, 25 years, 25 years. And finally, finally, the cry of a newborn baby. And what would anybody do when a 90-year-old and a 100-year-old have a baby? They all started laughing. And what did they name the baby? Isaac, which means laughter. Laughter. (laughs) What a moment. Geriatrics was turned to pediatrics. (laughs) In a moment of time. But here was what's so wonderful. God didn't just speak about a son. The son, the son finally came, the promised son. But God had spoken of generations of descendants. The son would just be the first, but there would be generations to come. God had promised far beyond the present. Far beyond the present, God had promised that there would be descendants beyond number, beyond their lives. You see, faith reaches out beyond your own existence and sees the promises of God that go beyond your lifetime. And the faith of these God followers reach beyond their lifetime. Notice verse number 12 says this. It says, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, not just a son, But descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the sands innumerable on the seashore. But notice it reached even beyond their own lifetimes. Notice these are amazing words. Verse number 13. Here are words of real faith. Verse 13. These all died In faith. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them. How did they see them? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. They'd already seen them by faith. And they had greeted them from afar. And and this is an incredible word. It's hardly ever used anywhere in the New Testament. It literally means standing on your tiptoes. You ever been looking for someone in a crowd? And you're trying to see the person. You get up on your tiptoes to see and to look down. That's what this word means. That these promises were so real to these people. They were so real. It's like, and by faith, they they couldn't wait. They they were standing on their tiptoes to to understand these things that had been promised. And they greeted them from afar. 
Their faith was their inspiration. They, they stood on their tiptoes. Do you remember what Jesus said about Abraham? Listen carefully. Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he was glad. Somehow we are not exactly sure, but Abraham knew about his coming greatest son. His descendant that would bring the kingdom of God. The restorer of all things, the hoped-for redeemer that God had promised, he could see him by faith and he rejoiced even though he lived almost 2,000 years before it was fulfilled. Faith was the inspiration of these people. But now notice, faith was also their identification. Not just their inspiration, but their identification. Notice this, verse number 13 says, they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They gladly acknowledged. They gladly acknowledged that they were foreigners. Friends, this world's not our home, right? We are pilgrims. What's the difference between a foreigner and a pilgrim? Well, a foreigner may be in the country and it's not the place of his birth. He is from an, or she is from another country. This is not their home. But a pilgrim is someone not from that country who's just what? Who is passing through. And that is exactly what, by faith, these people understood. No, we don't have here an enduring city. No, we don't have what all this world is talking about as valuable. We don't want that. As a matter of fact, we're passing through this world. We're pilgrims, and we are not just wandering around. We're on a journey. You see, if you're a pilgrim, listen carefully, you're not lost. You're not wandering around. You have a destination, and you're on the journey. That's a pilgrim. Friends, we're on a journey. We're not wandering in the wilderness. No, we're the people of God on a journey. Verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. A pilgrim is seeking and walking toward the homeland to come. That's the clearest direction we can have on our journey is to recognize that we are pilgrims. And we declare some things about ourselves. And let me just give you, if I might, as we're closing here, these three pilgrim proclamations. They're pilgrim proclamations. Don't make me say that too many times. (laughs) What do we proclaim? Number one, I will not go back. Number two, I will not settle down. And number three, I will not settle for less. I'm not going back. I'm not going to settle down in this world and get my identity and roots in this world. No, I will not settle for less than Jesus. Don't settle for less. Why? Because Jesus is better. Jesus is better. That's the 
proclamation of a pilgrim. Now, what gives someone the motivation to do this? Just read these verses. Here's the motivation. Verse 15. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. They could have gone back to the land between the rivers. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Wow. What a motivation. A better country. A far, far better place. A better country, a heavenly country. Followers of Jesus come from all the nations of the earth. But we all have the same passport. Our home is heaven. And the new Jerusalem, the city of our God, is the city that we long for. That's the followers of Jesus. That's our passport. Whatever name might be on your passport, if you're a Christian, that's not your ultimate passport. Your ultimate passport says, citizen of heaven. Citizen of heaven. And God identifies with that. What does God say about people like that who say, I won't go back, I won't settle down, I won't settle for less, I'm going to keep following the Lord. What does God say about people like that? Here's what he says. That God is not ashamed. Verse 16. He's not ashamed to be called their God. Think about that. Do you understand what that means? God. Holy. Infinite God. Identifies himself with his people so that he's even called by their name. Abraham lived among the pagans. No one worshipped his God. And you know what they called that God they did not know? They called him the God of Abraham. The God of Abraham and Isaac. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The God of Joseph. The God of Moses. The God of Samuel. The God of David. The God of Daniel. The God of Nehemiah. The God of Joseph and Mary. The God of Peter and John. The God of Paul. And the God of Christi, the God of Oxbed, the God of Wajen, the God of Ishiri. God is not ashamed to be called his people's God who follow him. And that means he's not ashamed to be identified with us who follow him. And what an amazing truth it is to say He's the God of, and then insert your name, 
hey, let's do that together as we close. Say your name when we get there. He is the God of Sam. Say it again. He is the God of Sam. Friend, that's not arrogance. That's faith. And that is devotion. That when we follow God, no turning back, no settling down, no settling for less. When we don't get our tent pegs in this earth so deep that it keeps us from moving forward for him and longing for heaven. When we're that kind of people, God is not ashamed to be called our God. And you know what? The best is yet to come. Amen.